Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's Rod and Staff, the official podcast of the Church of St. George the Martyr in Kailsville, alongside the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica's. I am Lindsay Shooters, your host on this exploration of faith during this time of continued crisis, and I am joined as always by the rector of our parish, the Archdeacon, Rodney Whiteman. I always seem, it seems like I should like put an applause in um, on top of this. <laughs> but how are you doing today, sir? Good day to you, Lindsay. Through the grace of God, doing very well. I was um, uh, greatly enriched by, uh, by the baptism class that I just had a couple of minutes ago. Uh, second baptism class. There will be baptism tomorrow in the second service. And great input by the parents. So, um, and Auntie Anita Mart, who continues to give um, substantive leadership. In, in that regard. And then also was in a service this morning, which was a diocesan one, admitting uh, people who have, who are now continuing their journey of discernment towards ordained ministry, and it's called the Ordinance Program. And so um, Gerald Kestor is one of the candidates from St. George's Kales uh, River who's in the ordinance program, and uh, hopefully he'll be ordained in the next year. Um, yeah, and uh, other people, of course, from other, from the archdeaconry and from other archdeaconry. So I think there's about 11 people that are in that program in the diocese at the moment. Um, the way I see it, very few, though, for full-time ministry. Um, a lot of people are still into the self-supporting mm. aspect. Okay. Yeah, so it's been quite a full day um, and meaningful day as well. Yeah. No funerals, though. I was out running the dogs in the cemetery. I actually sent you a, yeah. a little snapshot of the conditions. <laughs> yeah. Yes, there was, a, there was a funeral at the church that Father Fred Hendricks had done. Oh, wow. But it wasn't... It wasn't a parishioner. He's a member, I think, at St. John's in Belleville South. Uh, um, and because he was to be buried in in um, Durbanville at a particular time, the church at St. John's didn't have space to add him into the, the list there. So eventually they came around to us and um, Fred was his pastor at St. John's. Mm. He's in his late 30s, probably, early 40s. A man divorced with two children um, and had cancer. Mm. You know, involved in the media world. Very upstanding young person. And we discovered only later on that um, he was uh, his his father is a is a cousin of my wife. Oh wow! Because he's yeah second cousin or that because his mother his grand so somewhere we did, she didn't know but she she didn't know the boy but she knows his father and the surname McDonald's was the trigger yeah. to yes. the discovery. Okay, that's a 
a small, small world, and yeah, I was just making a cheap joke. Um, <laughs> but uh, the the theme for this, the sixth Sunday after the Epiphany, is we're continuing the back to basics, rebuilding the family. Um, this one is all about developing healthy communication within the family, and we had quite a bit of chat before uh, we hit record. Uh, because you were asking me about my dogs. Uh, that was kind of the lead into that punchline. It's the other yes. topic besides myself that I like talking a lot about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but if you could please call us together with a collective prayer, and then we will jump into the nuts and bolts of it. Good day, good people of God. Um, remember, we are still busy with uh, family month. And as Lindsay correctly said, after brokenness and dysfunction, we're now looking at uh, communication within the family life. Let us pray um, with focus on, if Lindsay would permit me to just pray both colleagues. Mm -hmm. It will be on your screen so you can pray it with me. So thanks for joining us. Holy and righteous God, you sit before us life and death. Grant us grace in the face of many temptations to seek the mind of Christ and to choose eternal life for Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, and now and forever. Amen. Loving God, we thank you for your love so freely given to us. All we pray for families around the world. We ask your blessings on the work of the Mother's Union who seek to share their, your love through the encouragement, strengthening and support of marriage and family life. Empowered by your spirit, may we be united in prayer and worship and in love and service, reaching out as your hands across the world. In Jesus' name, amen. So, so the, the readings are a collection of verses from Psalms and Proverbs. But the one that jumps out to me is Proverbs 18, verse 13, which is, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame. So, like, if I look at the way I raise my kids, I, I don't, I have this moral code that I live by. I don't lie to them. So if they ask me a question and I have an answer, that I know to be true, I will give them that answer. Um, I won't, I'll obviously bring it to their level as best that I can. Um, most of the time I don't, and my wife flashes me one of those looks. It's like, oh, you've lost them um, because I over-explain things. Uh, but yeah, that that's kind of been my mantra. But we actually had a situation today where my daughter had overstepped a boundary. Um, for a second or third time. Uh, the last time I did explain to her why the boundary is in place um, and explain to her what is expected and explain the methodology behind that expectation and then said that there will be future consequences if you overstep that boundary. And she overstepped it, knew full well, because she's not, she's a smart kid, um, and then proceeded to, in my mind, lie to me um, about overstepping the boundary. And I usually listen well so that I can understand what the true question is that needs to be answered. 
Um, but in this kind of case, especially, I mean, oh, there's many parents out there listening to this right now. When your kid is lying to you, it's very difficult to accept the explanation in the moment. How have you overcome these kinds of challenges? And what does um, your training, how is your training equipped you to kind of minister into this idea? Well, one of the things that I have to do in the first case is to acknowledge that as um, fallen humanity, we often do have a way in which we cover up uh, with words, with communication, uh, what we've been found out uh, having done that obviously could betray our friendships, our family life, um, our work situation. So I have to acknowledge within myself that that dilemma exists, that temptation, if I can put it like that, exists for me to coat in nice words um, so that I don't uh, feel too guilty yes. or burdened yeah. by, by that. Um, and, um, and so when I'm aware, uh, like for example, I had an, a very interesting example when I worked in, in Fishhook. I was involved with uh, the homeless shelter in Simonstown, served on their board. And so I was often being called in to sit with residents who have crossed the line uh, with their behavior, particularly with substance abuse. And so this guy was found out, caught out having spoken, spoke, uh, you know, being and used drugs on the premises, which was a no-no. And now I'm sitting with this, and now he's got in front of him the expulsion letter. And um, he was trying to say, you know, I can get over this. I and 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 sign my name here and all this. <laughs> And as I'm listening to this guy, be very articulate, right? Very articulate and no disrespect. So I said to him, just I just said to him in response, I said, you know, you are lying to yourself. And then you expect me to believe the lie you're telling yourself. That does not really work. Because if you are saying you would have changed now, why didn't you do that knowing what the context is when you'd come in here? And, and if we let this go now, we'll be buying into your lie again. Yeah. And so yeah. that lie would disrupt the life of order that that organization was trying to bring to homeless people where things have just gone out of shape. So the so in in my mind i would want to in myself explore and then in others too what is behind the words you are speaking that's really what i try to listen to and try to explore once the person has made their particular statement be it in response to a question i ask or be it the leading statement what is behind your words what is it that I need to hear behind your words, because there is a language behind mm. your explanation. Um, and I'm very interested. I mean, I don't know if you're aware of a book that was written by Scott Peck, a psychologist called The People of the Lie. Mm. And I find that a very helpful tool of reference because um, we are easily, in most cases, 
told half the story. Mm. I sit on church bodies, and when we have to listen to a context, we literally just believe what the other is saying. I ask myself the question, when I talk about parish X, how truthful am I about that? Or am I covering up something that if I had opened up, it may be to my embarrassment, but it could be of help to the people in that context to not live by an untruth. But mm-hmm. because, I mean, we're supposed to be people of truth. But it is also very hard to, to, to do that. So, yes, we need to help each other by listening very deeply, not saying people are liars, but trying to find out what is the real story behind the story filled with words. Mm. Yeah, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't help a, a frustrated parent, though. <laughs> no, absolutely, because you want the child to live honestly. It's embarrassing if a child is found out lying because you know that if you don't nip it in the bud that's what the child will do with their lives going forward yeah and like we we try and be open and communicate like have open communication with 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 our children um and like i don't see there being a reason to lie sure. to me like sure. I, I don't understand why my children would lie to me because of the relationship for the the way I view the relationship, the way I view my approach to to parenting. Like I'm not super stern. Um, I've experienced a lot in my life. I'm comfortable with controversy, so I'm quite open to. I'm quite liberal in my thinking as well, so I'm open to a lot of things. Like there's nothing that's going to shock me into a, a overreaction. Um, so yeah, I like I, I just don't understand it, and then I feel betrayed. It's like, <laughs> or I I I overcorrect, and it's like, did I do something that has placed some kind of fear in yeah. her? Yeah, that is the big thing, and it's not you placing the fear; it's the atmosphere uh, where truth is longed for. Mm. That um, you know, fear for consequences. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's very, very difficult. Line is very fine. Yeah, I, I don't know. I can. I, I was speaking to a new parent um, on in the in the week uh, on a business trip, and like the kids being like, that's one of those things where the where the doctors are just using process of elimination to figure out why the kid is like crying for like six hours at a time. Um, and I told him, I was like, you're going to get a lot of advice. Like I tried to weigh in with not really advice, but just kind of different routes of thinking, like seeing if they've explored like those kinds of avenues. And I was like, you know what? You must take everything as that person's experience. But everybody's mm. child is different. So it's like, although you think yeah. that because you've raised the kid, you know how to raise a kid. It's like, no, you know how to raise your kid. Like, you don't know how to yes. raise somebody else's kid. Everybody. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Absolutely. The value systems are compatible and comparable and different. Um, uh, you know, so that is why I think the main form of communication that we often 
pay less attention to is to teach our children how to listen, mm. how to listen to themselves, how to listen to um, the, the, you know, the family members, how to listen in the home, mm. how to listen to God, how to listen in, in terms of the various contexts that they will explore in their lives. Uh, because I think a whole lot of, although when you grow up and you are um, exploring your world, parents demand you to listen. And do you understand what mommy them is saying to you? You know, whether that <laughs> that kind of stuff is, um, you know, we, 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 we place it on children, but we don't expect it from adults. Yes. I, I had this idea that I was going to be like the super paid, and I was for a while um, until uh, my daughter crested probably about five years old. <laughs> Which yes. was, and then started becoming very dumb. You know, when you when you see yourself more and more in the child, and then you're more frustrated that it's reflecting back at you all the ugliness <laughs> and not all That's of the I stuff that you want. Yeah. That's what I found interesting when I, in one of the parishes I served, there was a, a very a, a family that a husband and wife, parents who were very um, pedantic, they were were homeschooling their daughters, mm -hmm. giving the impression that public schools or any other school would taint their children's mindsets and way of being. Mm. So we often had um, had prayer meetings in their homes because they belonged to the prayer group that I was part of. And, and they would often give instructions to their children and I realized this is similar to what happens to the child who's at public public school, because as that teen, that child grows, their personality is their own thing. Whatever you think you've done, they have their own stubborn way about how they will deal with the world. Yeah. So yeah. it's not necessarily protective. It cannot deter the child from growing their own personality and their own way of thinking. You may be filling your child with knowledge and they have wonderful marks and they're not comparing themselves with other children, blah, 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 blah. But whether you like it or not, they still have to learn how to engage the world. Mm. And how prepared is our homeschool children? To, because they protected protected yeah. environment. How do they fit in? How will they grow? And what will they learn there? Mm. Yeah, my, my concern is never the, I, 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 I always, um, with both my kids, my first reaction to when they now went to school was like, um, now they must go and assimilate into society and we must deal with the consequences of that assimilation, you know, because you build this cocoon, um, you build this protective environment around this, you know, unique little flower of yours, and then you need to see how the flower reacts to getting trampled. Absolutely. And like a lot of parents, you obviously don't want your kid to be in, have negative experiences, but that's the way that we grow. Like um, I always say that I pursued writing or journalism or writing specifically because no one ever told me that I can't do it, uh, but I've been on the other side of criticism already and that has made me better. 
Um, of and course, yeah. Of especially course. now with, with this pandemic where you have like the distance learning, you encounter so many students at like college, university level who have never sat in a room, like they're studying like the creative arts and they've never sat in a room where they were criticized by their peers. Like yes. there's a difference between having like distance correspondence. You can't, there's, there's a different energy on a Zoom call, for instance. Um, and yes. because of the context of the pandemic, like everyone's, you know, carrying their own burden. So everyone's very sympathetic to everybody else. But to be in a room where people are tearing apart yeah. the, your piece of beauty that, or at least in your mind, um, is very helpful. It shows you what the world doesn't want, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah, it's important to, to, to go through like those, those, negative, those negative experiences. Well, you know, I had a taste of um, of residential learning and formation when I went to seminary. Yeah. And uh, yes, I had to touch base with the real world because the classrooms wasn't filled with people my age and who's in the phase of life that I was. Mm. Being mm. the second youngest in my first year, probably the third youngest in my second year. Yeah. Um, water behind the ocean behind my ears no real experience now you're going to a Christian institution where you're going to be formed and shaped as you're testing your vocation to the priesthood you, there was no way in. I mean the third year of my life, the third year I could not complete at the seminary because 26 of us who were non-Transkyans had to flee out of the country for because they withdrew our study permits. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so there we were studying and um, tribalism and racism were issues on an everyday basis. Mm. You know, mm. you know, when we were not uh, when we, we were when we knew that there was a, we were loggerheads because of what had happened on the cultural how can we break bread together if nobody's working to reconcile us so we even decided not to go to chapel <laughs> we had our own church service uh, of morning prayer because we just felt that you know the thematics wasn't addressed as per we understood um reconciliation should have you know mm. uh, if you say if, if you if you say you have no sin then you deceive yourselves if you bring your gift to the altar and you know your brother's got something against you, then leave your gift before the altar. So where was the practice and the living out of all of that? And it would seem as if the authorities were not capable of helping us through that maze. Yeah. And with the, with the yeah. event, we had to study away from our seminary, away from our lecturers, on our own, and to complete our diploma courses. In a, in a, and write exams and be gra and graduate in a different setting to what we our college would have offered us. So you know, there's no perfect world, mm. and mm. we need that engagement. I mean, how would Jesus have strengthened his argument if he was not walking the dusty roads from Galilee to the cross? I am very glad you brought that up because that is a good little pivot um, to the gospel, which is 
according to Luke chapter 6, verses 17 to 26. It is the Sermon on the Mount. And I couch it as the Christian manifesto, because this is like, so if you, if, if you will indulge me. So Jesus has obviously been on his little... <laughs> On his little um, crusade, or at least his, his little journey, he's gathered up a few disciples. He's been preaching in synagogues, gathered a quite a big following at this point, been through Syria, Judea, Jerusalem. Um, and this is his first big performance. And he decides to lay down his manifesto. And it starts like this. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, revile and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven. For that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. So, immediate issues here is back then, fine. This is now speaking to a populace that is being oppressed by Rome, they being taxed unfairly, um, like he has a tax collector with him crafting this narrative um, and obviously giving him the insider knowledge of like what is actually going on how badly the Hebrews are being treated. Um, fast forward to today. And this message doesn't slap the same when you're delivering it to like an up and coming middle class where you have wealthy people who are faithful people living within their means, just their means are more excess, more in excess of what it used to be. Um, is it helpful? to still glorify piety and poverty in this way, in this moment that we are now, in 2022, in, within our parish where we have like a major economic swing, uh, this kind of alienates the wealthy and glorifies the poor. I think my first response to you would be those who are seeking consolation with their wealth will separate themselves from others. But those who are earning well and who are economically stable and exercise the generous heart, which I have experienced in all parishes that I've gone to, and I was with um, St. George, St. Mark's, and St. Monica's, then I would say that those who are not seeking consolation in their wealth, um, those who are not uh, um, portraying this as they, they, they better than others, those who are not consumed by the position of wealth, um, or by any other position that they may have that they would assume gives them a sense of power and bitterness, um, then I would say it would be difficult for me to accuse them of being of being consumed by their wealth and therefore we must speak to them. I, I had a challenge when I went into Fishuk and um, 
you know my experience of of folk um from the from from our white communities is that they have you know catered for every aspect of their life experience including retirement uh and in some cases to the detriment of other people mm. so they uh, i now i had a community that i served uh in 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 um fishuk five of them were five of those communities were um were health care centers where people lived and also those who lived very long lives had health care provided for them but of course it takes super amount of fees mm. um you had to have almost close to 50,000 and a month to be able to live there so yeah. how were you able to accumulate so much wealth in order to provide such a kind of lifestyle at the end of your lives and there was one woman when i came to to preach my when i came to do my first service at one of the chapels who thought that i was going to now bad mouth these white folk and the way that they used um you know uh, econ- economics to oppress and all that kind of stuff and she didn't hear that from me how dare i even go and preach when i'm not even sure who they are yeah what yeah. their lives have been like and and why they are there so i i would i would not be able to preach that except if for me there are people who are consoling themselves in their wealth they would have with drawn to protect themselves from the rest of the folk mm. and they would have only concentrated but yeah people who've done well people have studied hard people have have have, have accumulated good jobs they've opened up their own businesses um and yet they are still humble enough to recognize god's generosity in their lives and are able to share and to give and so i need to be for using that particular verse as a tool for preaching i've got to be very sure that i'm not um beating people over the heads for nothing if i don't know the context how can i even dare to preach this hmm very 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 measured and very very good response um kind of negates my follow ups but i i will say one thing though <laughs> um within this with the in this opening passage of of the sermon there is also a little window left open that a lot of lesser lesser is not the word unscrupulous preachers men of the cloth have used to and entire societies have been constructed by this like colonizers have used this as a weapon um against uh the natives of of various countries through missionary um where it's implied that the harder your circumstances the deeper your faith and you know that that this is a an idea that that gets touted quite recklessly um among some clergy by some clergy yeah i think that um we 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 were taught to, uh, to look at that as what they call a pie in the sky gospel yeah uh, so pie in the sky can't be a gospel because not good news at all for anybody 
Um, but you see, this is the problem. This is the risk God takes. When he reveals, he can be interpreted. And when he's interpreted, because God's mystery, we interpret it wrongly and possibly the interpretation goes to strengthen my point of view and not an interpretation that's an open-ended one which yeah. others can also find solace in. So, yes, uh, people have utilized the gospel, had utilized, um, I mean, here in our country right now, this one thing called uh, prophetic men of the cloth, mm. uh, sorry, prophetic men of God, are running rings around people and the focus is the people's money. Yeah. And, and people sadly are not educated enough or rather allowing themselves to be ignorant enough, not discern. This is the point. People must learn to discern when somebody gets up and says, God said, I must tell you. We must be very clear that we just do not fall for that trick. Mm. We've got to be discerning. That word that Jesus uses, yeah, listen if you have ears. That's for me a riding principle in all of this. That even Jesus did, he challenged the disciples who were ignorant about understanding what the scriptures were. So, so there's no way that that challenge is lessened um, because we modern day Christians have got to be even more wise. Uh, Jesus says, be wise as serpents and innocent as, as doves, because people will con you and the conning has happened, uh, you know, like, for example, promised that they will heal you. And when you're not healed, they blame your faith mm. is not enough. And yet Jesus says, if your faith is as strong as a mustard seed, which is the smallest of many seeds, why then would would that not be on the cards? And and then when you challenge that, how do we ex how do they explain it? So yes, there are charlatans in town. Uh, there are charlatans in every context, and we have got to be able to discern, and we've got to teach our families to be discerning. We've got to teach our congregations to be discerning people, not just fall for any trick in the book. Somebody said today, for example, that um, talking about the, the one subject I don't want to talk about is money. All I'm doing is saying thank you for the generosity given by people to ensure the parish runs. Mm. It's, but I'm not going to ask people, people who come and join the church, I don't ask, tell them because they ask, what is this here? No, no. I say that's between you and God. If you yeah. feel you want to support, this ministry, then do so. I'm not going to force you to do anything. Now there's new tricks in the book. Um, some priests uh, have now said apparently, one, one priest has said, uh, no, no, don't throw green in because that's still growing. You must throw from brown upwards. Take what people must throw into the, to the what's his name, and then that becomes the joke of the town. Yeah. You know, why yeah. do I have to dictate to you that um, you you know what must come out of your pocket into the plate. Mm -hmm. That's between mm -hmm. you and God. 
and and so people have got to be discerning um if if ministry if uh, when jesus said i bring good news to the poor the assumption is that good news to the poor means they can pray for the lottery winnings yeah or, you know that kind of nonsense talk well, jesus was precisely go the seed yes <laughs> you know and they warm you so up to think but people who see ministry and mission as that which must bring hope to the world and that those who are seeking to minister in that context are doing so with in a servanthood in a stewardship way in a way that without having to emphasize money in any way will contribute to the cause mm. because you're speaking to their hearts you're speaking to you you are a conduit through which they can discern what god is saying about the situation and about what their role is so why do i have to uh, keep telling you i mean i uh, uh, some of my family belong to some of these churches mm. and and i asked them what form of service do you guys have and they would tell me the first part would be praise and worship and then mm. the guy comes out and he, he preaches just on giving from the old testament but there's another service sermon lined up later but that first sermon so so i want to have references to where they get their 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 texts from why people don't understand right now what a tenth means what generous giving means and why people are still sadly flossed by the charlatans who give interpretations that uh make you think they speak as the lord's telling them to speak to get into your pocket yeah that's yeah. no, very sad but the thing that i i and i had a long discussion well not a long discussion um it's probably embellishing a bit uh with with my wife about this where i had i'd mentioned the reading um obviously she's now gotten into that the chosen series and I think season two culminates with the Sermon on the Mount. So I was like, oh, this is the Sermon of the Mount um, thing, but I don't, well, what did I tell her? I don't think you like my response. <laughs> and then she was, that obviously piqued her interest. And then we had a little bit of a discussion of like the points that I was going to raise. Um, and then, yes. then I think for me, it's it's always to, like if I had any crusade, it would be to ground the idea Firstly, to humanize Jesus, um, because I think the moment we elevate him as some form of, you know, God above men, above people, then that opens up the door to a very problematic situation where you start to accept anything that is attributed to Jesus as gospel, as something that you have to live your life on and i mean a lot of these guys are very very gifted uh speakers and very persuasive and very charming and it's very easy to lose yourself in that to lose your humanity to that um then the other thing is to illustrate especially with this that you have to consider the context in which the sermon was spoken yeah 
And that context is not the same as we have now. So the message, the interpretation yes. needs to be analyzed according to our current context and that difference. Yeah, I would like to say that the, the, the beauty of Jesus is that in terms of the earthly experience, he chose the way of the ordinary person. Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And the stories he told were not stories that elevated um, what was going on in ivory towers, but mm -hmm. what was being faced in the battle in life, economically, socially, politically, and religiously. Mm -hmm. um, but it was all in the dusty streets, uh, all on the road, all around the lake with fishermen. Um, he made us understand the, that the that the the incarnation, God becoming man and dwelling with us, was in our basic primitive and, and naked state. So the elevation he got on earth was the cross. And, and so it wasn't the, it, the, um, the beautiful hymn that Paul wrote in the Philippian passage um, about Jesus and how, how he became, I mean, this is, this is oh, I, I don't even know anybody could have said this at any, any time. He became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore God is exalted. So the exaltation comes later, but at first, the exaltation was on the cross. Uh, in the place of death, in the place of criminality, in the place of human degradation, um, as a, um, a target of the scrupulous, powerful, um, Jesus's elevation was not in the ivory towers, neither was it um, in, in such a way that it made him, um, that it made his godliness untouchable. So the words he spoke, the words that fell on the ground, words that fell on the ground where ordinary people lived their life. It was there where, where these words became seeds of hope, um, seed that nurtured um, people who were voiceless and gave them hope on the inside. So I don't agree with what you are saying in that sphere. I see when whenever um, um, there's an argument about the status of Jesus, I call yeah. him the man walking the dusty streets. There's a book um, that one of our, our theologians wrote, which I still have to get, but it's perhaps a very, it's a very important book. 
which he entitled the book, The Man on a Donkey. Mm. And, um, and so, so as I'm, I'm not so sure if I'm sure the Roman Catholics would, but I, in the, in the Anglican um, ethos and theological uh, dimension, um, the incarnation plays a huge role for me. Um, the word becomes flesh, dwells amongst us. And in dwelling amongst us, we are offered grace upon grace. I think my, my response would be to kind of just articulate. Um, the, the issue I have is we, or many people, consider Jesus in the entirety of the story. So at the conclusion of the story, once he has risen from the dead, where the stories that we're reading here in the gospel is about the man before he becomes the Christ. And yeah. it, it's, 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 it's an important differentiation that I don't think enough people make. Um, and that's why it always sounds like I've been accused many times of blasphemy. Um, when I reduce Jesus to like a pop culture figure, um, like a rock star on his little tour and all that sort of stuff. But that is what it was. Um, he does not become Jesus Christ, Lord of all, without the death. And you cannot tie all of these things to that person. You know, there's everyone goes through has a story of a transformation within their lives like i wasn't always this person i had to go through life to become this person so yeah that that's that's kind of the point that i'm making very, very interesting you said and i have no problem with with what you're saying there um to understand the jesus of the cross to understand the jesus of the resurrection you have to understand the jesus of the manger you have to understand the Jesus of the dust. You have to understand Jesus, the the exiled uh, yeah. uh, one. Yeah. Um, and, and it's interesting that I, I went to look up a bit about Luke 6. And, and um, the, the, the one of the things that is in the text, it said uh, he came down with him, stood on a level place. And um, this theologian makes reference to this level place or plane. Hmm. And it goes uh, uh, back into the Septuagint, uh, the prophets and the writing, that the level place in all of those writings and in the mindset of the Hebrew is that they are often referred to as places of corpses, hmm. disgrace, hmm idolatry, suffering, misery, hunger, alienation, and mourning. And there's several references given, Prophet Jeremiah, Daniel, Joel, Habakkuk, and Zechariah. And so he goes on to say, Jesus teaches the way of the kingdom in the midst of the world as such a level place. So... The, the, the kingdom, both present in that place, also has the future 
in its in in its uh, interpretation that you hold together the present reality in which the kingdom exists in the present reality of the world um, and also the hope of the future of that so i hear what you're saying mm-hmm. um, that whilst we I, i'm not sure if you if you said it like this but whilst we looked to the end product yeah. or the culminating yeah. product of who jesus ultimately becomes for all of us it is it is also making sure we understand where he stood with us mm-hmm. where he meets humanity and it's not in the ivory palaces uh, of power and economic grandeur it's in the dusty roads of human existence in the places where death seems to rule the roost and he is there i remembered i preached and used pope francis's words when i was preaching at um an ordination service of those who became priests i did the retreat and so i preached and 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 francis said to the priest in the roman catholic church we said unless you are willing to work in the pigsty of life don't become a priest and one person that was doing their masters degree just could not handle that image of what it means to be a servant priest alongside jesus um but yes that's why jesus is such an important topic and such an important person in history to talk about to converse about uh, i don't think there for me there's any human context modern in the modern world which we in which we can exclude referencing him recognizing what he brought to the world as he walked the dusty streets of his time i don't know i think there's about 5 billion people in the world who who would say that they get on pretty fine without involving the christ i'd like to philosophy. i'd like to hear, i'd like to hear them say that to me because <laughs> <laughs> obviously they are not christian at all so that's fine but even they make reference to jesus even oh. when they even when they swearing Wow. wow but wow. that's because of the US the culture the, the globalization It's globalization reasons <laughs> and yeah we we want to follow good stories but in comes this usage and it's very sad but <laughs> but but i have to say okay i've got to engage that world in the name of the very one that that they've misused names they've misused uh, in in terms of derogatory speech I I was going to close off uh, and 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 I will now by saying that there is one thing that I I jive to um in in this sermon woe to you when all speak well of you for that is what the ancestors did to the false prophets and I believe that when everybody speaking well of me and I have no enemies and no one wishing ill and no one wanting to claim my spot that I have not done my job correctly because when you're doing something right it means that you're showing someone else that they're doing it wrong <laughs> well very interesting very interesting ah uh.
Thank you very much for this conversation. It has been entertaining and enlightening. It went pretty deep. Um, and yeah, it's it's been fantastic. Thank you very much. Thanks, Lindsay. And my regards to all the family members. Eh? Keep yes. well. Bye-bye. And thank you for listening.